Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll bring you joy. Hello everybody, my name's Neil White and from Backpage this is The Big Interview with Graham Hunter and our first monthly Q&A show of the new season. The questions for these shows come from our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, who also get early access to all our podcasts, extra big interviews and other exclusive content. Shortly after match day two in La Liga, we're focusing on the new season in Spain. Graham Hunter is on the line from Barcelona and sir, we are starting with something that several socios asked us about. Richard from Huddersfield, the floor is yours. I just want your thoughts on the uh, UK TV deal for La Liga, or lack of it really, uh, just whether you feel maybe the league are wanting too much money for the product. Is it the uh, nightmare scenario with the uh, the fixture planning that's putting a lot of the uh, TV companies off, or is it just TV deals in general? They're just not what they were, or even is La Liga not you know, box office as it used to be? Obviously, Cristiano's left, and how much damage is it doing to us not having a proper TV deal? Keep up the good work, buddy. Hola, Ricardo. Look, dude, this is going to have to be an estimate. The long and short is that it's not that I'm sitting on something corporate, some inside knowledge that I have to keep quiet on. I work in the same building intermittently, you know, as a freelance, as the people who are negotiating the television deal. Their rights, obviously, initially rest with La Liga, but they put... La Liga's international broadcasting out to tender and a company called Media Pro in uh, Barcelona owns the right to market La Liga and sells the deal around the world. Now, in the UK, the easiest or the cleanest way to answer you, um, because you've hinted at whether La Liga as a saleable property is missing uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I think the answer is no, in that it's not as if there was a sudden bidding auction for Italian rights when he moved to Juventus. And the roots of this problem come from when Sky was in the last stages of its La Liga deal. And 
for the first time, the Premier League rights buying went mega, stratospheric. And that means that it's not the last Premier deal, but the one before that. And that meant that Sky was so committed to a sum that they how that stretched them i think you're allowed to be stretched as a large organization if the commodity you want is suddenly there's a scarcity of it there's an auction for it there are competitors everywhere so it stretched them and it meant that they filtered word down the line to all of us that they were going to make economies elsewhere in order to be able to fund the premier league so the first reason about that was the cost of the premier league made Sky and some of the other ones, um, including BT, who were involved in that auction and got ancillary rights, a little bit tighter of budget. BT has spent an awful lot on uh, Champions League. And then you get the wide ranging idea that streaming companies like Facebook, who currently broadcast La Liga free in India, and who are getting one of my colleagues, Tim Lee, excellent colleague, fantastic commentator. Uh, moved from a, a very high post in um, IMG, uh, football production, to just follow his true love and become a commentator. He's now commentating to India and Pakistan and Bangladesh via uh, Facebook. And if you name other companies, you could be talking about whether it's Amazon or Hulu or when, when Google come into it. Everybody widely thought that it would be one of the streamers Bigger than simply 11 Sports, who I thought last year, until they found that people were slow to subscribe, that the numbers they needed for what was a, an expensive buy, numbers came, their service I thought was exceptional. There was a library of matches, they used the La Liga uh, magazine shows that we produce, you could watch all of the games live, the quality on your tablet that you could cast to the television was absolutely exceptional. It was a new way, it was a different way. People found that they were not quite ready for that change in vast numbers. And so then, Richard, you know this, and maybe most of the socios know that when Eleven found that they weren't getting the numbers they needed to repay them two-thirds of the way through their first year, they stayed interested, they shared rights, they sold off some of the rights to uh, the bigger games to ITV4. And ITV4 began to get good audiences there. They have been the only provider up until now, and I think that stays till match day four. And I've seen figures that I haven't been able to confirm, but I've seen uh, people talking on um, Twitter about the or Athletic Barca game in the first day of the season getting an audience of 440,000, which is a very healthy figure. It's, it's I mean, I think that about seven or eight million people should be watching La Liga football if the world was correctly oriented, but uh, at the moment it's not. But that's a figure that compares very, very healthily to what, say, Sky get for Premier League matches. Long and short of it is this. I've had indications that there are negotiations going on for a company to take over La Liga's rights from mid-September till the end of the season. Those aren't completed. Premier Sports have made a bid. We know that. 11 Sports would like to be still involved. We know that much. ITV4, I'm willing to bet, are enjoying the numbers that they're getting. But could I tell any of you, I know where La Liga will be broadcasted in the UK and Ireland. I'd have to say I don't. And I don't attribute it to Cristiano Ronaldo at all. The quality of the football is still high. After 20, 
I don't know, 21 or 22 years on Sky Television, there's now an embedded support base. There are people who don't simply want to watch good football of a Saturday night or a Sunday night outside the, the timetable of the Premier League. There are people who actively feel that Villarreal or Betis or Athletic or La Real or Madrid and Barcelona are their team that they care. And therefore, there's a support base. That means that there's a subscription base or that there's a viewing base in the UK and Ireland. That it's embedded in our culture now. And that's that's for the benefit of our, of our enjoyment and for our football culture. Where it's going to be broadcasted, I don't know. But my bet is that there will be a deal sorted out. And if there isn't, then I, w- I won't think of it in any way selfishly. But I wish my colleagues and I were broadcasting to, to UK and Ireland. I'll, I'll be pretty heartbroken because there are clearly new generations all the time who need to be introduced to the, the wit and the technique and the ideas and the colour and the passion and the culture of Spanish football. And it'd be a shame if people are missing out on the quality of La Liga in a year when things are going to be tight. Richard, thanks very much for the question. Um, Richard sent in his, um, his question as an audio message, which our show shows can do. Thanks very much for that. And yeah, it's interesting stuff about the, you know, the building up of the, of the supporter base. And to your point about you know, Richard's concern that it's a lack, of, a lack of Cristiano behind the numbers, I think we're going to cover several points, several personalities, um, several sort of storylines that prove that La Liga this season is going to be just as watchable as it ever has been. Um, our next question comes from Luis Bergat, who I don't think we've heard from before. So, hello, Luis. Welcome to the party. Yeah, bienvenido, Luis. Luis asks, do you guys see similarities between the approach of Zinedine Zidane and Carlo Ancelotti when he was in charge of Madrid? Like Carlo, Zidane seems to have clear favourites and doesn't deviate much from his core team unless it's through injuries. I love Carlo, says Luis, but isn't a philosophy of picking your best players and letting them figure out how to win a bit simplistic if you don't agree, can you explain the difference between the two coaches? Wow, it's a fabulous question. It's a difficult one to answer. I, I'm not the type of a jackass who'll just sit here, Luis, and say to you, yeah, baby, don't worry, I know all the answers to this. I think there are things where I can colour in the corners a little bit. And I, I would say, first of all, I, I found Carlo Ancelotti to be, in some part, com- not completely, but largely different to what you're describing. The way I start to answer you is that if you think about when Ancelotti came, he was lumbered with Gareth Bale and he didn't really want Bale. But that, that's a total irrelevance in many large clubs, but certainly at Real Madrid. It's something that Zidane is suffering, not just with Bale now, but with certain signings. Luka Jovic would be an example. But the potential for Neymar to come to Real Madrid, which I don't quite think is happening is another thing that Zidane wouldn't have seen and doesn't want but going back to Carlo if you remember in the first Clasico that Ancelotti coached at Camp Nou his willingness to come up with solutions saw him starting with Gareth Bale at centre forward and you could see why because at Spurs Bale had largely been doing something that he has been quite often denied at Real Madrid gravitating as if not team leader at Spurs the guy who was the icing on the cake at Spurs and was allowed to position himself as he saw fit. And I did an analysis, just a private one, of, of the goals he scored at Spurs just as he came to Real Madrid. Or the rise of the predominance of goals scored centrally was, was fascinating. He'd completely changed how he scored his goals at Spurs, earning himself that 100 million euro transfer, and from where he scored them. Ancelotti says, okay, here's my initial solution to the fact that I've got overs. There's too many people in my squad. Too many of those people are 
in inverted commas, guaranteed picks, president picks. So I have to, Carlo Ancelotti is definitely a very um, politically shrewd coach. He's one who grew up getting used to, you know, the rigours of, of playing in a Roma side, which was very, very, very political, very difficult for those who weren't favourites of the owners or favourites of the coach. And then he had to work for Berlusconi for many years at AC Milan as well. And there were public rows about Berlusconi saying he picked the side and Ancelotti refuting that. But Ancelotti figured out a really good solution that I've yet to see Zidane use that same uh, tactical acuity. Because if you remember, in order to get... In order to create what what became known as BBC, Bill Benzema and Cristiano Ronaldo, and get three huge stars in the team, he moved from a to a formation that I don't think would have been his four three three, and he asked Angel Di Maria to become a, a midfielder and not just a wide creative midfielder, but somebody who worked his arse off, and he came up with this season, this solution not quite halfway through the season, but it became one that you know, lifted them a Champions League and gave them the cup and gave Ancelotti for a period of time not only um, security but success. And I found that team really enjoyable to watch. And I, I really adored the way in which he not only came up with the idea that Di Maria in midfield would be a way to get the, the three beasts up front, but that he convinced Angel Maria to, to alter the kind of player that he was, got right down to his soul and turned him into a real blue-collar worker who would tackle, press, win, and, and not always look for filigree on his own um, because he was at that stage and has become again at Paris Saint-Germain an outstanding footballer in, in, you know, in tight situations, brilliant deliverer of the ball. This, I guess, Luis, you, you'd already remember, know about, and maybe you're shaking your head or nodding your head, but my opinion was that, yes, maybe Ancelotti then became overly reliant on the same group of players, but I'm not certain. It's just my opinion. I don't think that simply because Carlo Ancelotti regularly picked the same group of players until some of them became a little bit tired. I think that there's a pattern whereby Carlo Ancelotti being, as a coach, I mean, he's not a sop, but he's a, a, a pretty consensus-driven, decent man, and somebody who I think, when the natural sell-by date of certain coaches and their messages comes along, it's often simply because the whole group needs a change, needs a page turning. And often the smart coaches say, well, it's you guys, you're getting moved on. With Ancelotti, I think that sell-by date can come a little bit earlier because basically he's an oddity. He's a decent man. He, it's not that he's not demanding. It's not that he's not clear-cut in what he wants. It's not that he's afraid to drop people, but he is just on a day-to-day basis, a slightly easier going, slightly gentler, slightly more rounded man than your average coach. That's my opinion that when people say Ancelotti has a limited franchise and you have to move him on all the time, I don't think it's because he's tactically inept. And I, and I understand that the comparison with Ronaldo comes now, I guess, because if you look at the team that he played uh, this weekend, the majority of them have been there from four or five years to 10 or 15 years. There wasn't a single new player um, adding freshness and bite. And at least you're clearly pointing out that you have a fear that the way that they, they didn't put the game to bed against Valladolid... He said that in the television interview afterwards, and this Mandar Mandar La Palota Tomar Porsaco 
it's, it's just a really mixed up, crude way of his frustration coming out saying, uh, even at Real Madrid with wh- whatever they scored, I don't know, they they scored to go 1-0 up with maybe five or six minutes of natural time left. And the Real Madrid manager was saying, well, we should have just lumped the ball. We, we should know at that stage that we protect the lead and we lump the ball. And I think that many, many people's perception that Zidane is somebody who, like you've indicated, Luis, <laughs> picks the 11, his 11 favourite players or his 11 best players and just says to them, get on with it, lads. That idea has been emphasised by Zidane's very agricultural words that while he said listen when we lost the ball Cruz Tony Cruz again a subject we have to come back to you know I don't dislike the German he's clearly an exquisite footballer on the ball and for about 95% of his match against Vidalid he showed that but just like he was consistently the weak vessel in midfield last season he gives the ball away atrocious body position in a pass from Bale that he that Bale was forced into because of a really useless pass across to uh, to him it, it, the long and short is Cruz's body position how he protects the ball and, and his lack of chasing after the ball these are things that I don't think you can you can blame on Zidane but were I Zidane I wouldn't have approved Cruz's contract being renewed I, I think it's one of the areas where new ideas, fresh hunger, maybe youth, but certainly drive and aggression. Uh, uh, Not physical aggression, but aggression to keep the ball, aggression to close games, aggression to win games, energy, commitment, Kante-esque approach to what the ball is there for and how much of it you want. Madrid, in my opinion, don't have that. And therefore the Zidane, this concept list that I know you're hinting at, that Zidane is an uncomplicated, fairly rudimentary coach that players respond to on a daily basis because he is one of those people around whom, if you can, if you can do a Pulp Fiction moment and, and become Vincent Vega and open that case in the flock of seagulls house flat as, as the kids are about to get offed and there's a golden glow when he opens the case, that's what people will tell you it's like being round Zidane on a daily basis. Individually, he inspires, he lifts, he gives them training sessions that they really enjoy. I don't think those training sessions are particularly uh, complex, although it's his, it's his sidekick, David Bittoni, who's the one who's, who's devising the sessions. It's about pressing, passing in short spaces and shooting. And that's about the lot. So if you're talking, I think you're talking, Luis, about there being a shared lack of sophistication between the two men, Ancelotti and Zidane. And I think on that comparison, comparison, pardon me, Ancelotti is significantly the more developed, significantly the more tactically astute, and and I I rate him very very much indeed. It's my humble opinion that long since, in fact, from the day that Alex Ferguson left, Ancelotti was the ideal coach for Manchester United in terms of handling the Glazers, managing upwards, in terms of handling the staff, handling the the public image of what the manager of Manchester United need be. They approached him. He said, no, he was too witty. And right now there are really important family reasons why he is in the south of Italy, why he's at Napoli. It wasn't simply the De Laurentiis' approach or the money that's involved or the passion of the Sao Paulo fans. There are, I think, two significant family reasons, one related to Carlo, one related to his wife, that, that being in Napoli is very important to him. 
So I, I understand your question. I think that your, your view, although you've expressed it in a longer, more articulate way, is one that, is, is, that has growing franchise. People do believe that maybe Zidane is just somebody who lifts individual players and then picks his favourites. I'm, I'm also a little bit trepidatious about Zidane's relationship with younger footballers. He's shipped a few of them out. Vinicius in particular is going to suffer unless he's allowed to play on the left. Hazard is going to block that. There are obviously other players who want that left wing peg. I don't think that Zidane has really got a lot of time in his mind or time in his energy quota to develop younger players. I just think he's one of these guys who wants, like, I will put my sergeant majors in right now. And on that point, Lisa, I agree with you. Are uh, Ancelotti and Zidane identical? I'm not sure. I don't think so. From the same school, yes. And, and is Zidane going to prove to be the most sophisticated of tactical coaches? I think that's probably a no. Thank you very much, Luis. And thank you very much, Graham. Early season Tarantino reference always goes down well. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break. And as Uma would say, we'll be back with Barcelona in a couple of shakes of a lamb's tail. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. We're back, and every good football podcast has an Iona correspondent. Finley McDonald is ours. He writes, is Rakitic really on the way out at Barca? If so, where do you think he'll end up, and will Barcelona regret it? Finley, I think it's because you know me well that you've gone straight to the sore point and tipped a gallon of salt into it. Rakitic um, is being treated in a way that I absolutely despise. Uh, Rakitic is not only an absolutely outstanding footballer. He's a fabulous athlete who played, although he's a little bit younger than Modric, he played as much, if not more football than Modric last year. Yet after their uh, World Cup adventure, it wasn't Rakitic who collapsed from autumn onwards. He had a bad last three, four weeks of the season when sheer exhaustion overtook him. But prior to that, only talking about last season, he's the one who kept Sergio Busquets in the team. Rakitic was the Kante figure. Rakitic gave Busquets wings because he worked for him. He did all the running for him. In the moments where Busquets was turned or people passed past him or gave away position, 95% of the time Rakitic was there 
doing a Winston Wolfen and cleaning up. And that takes massive extra mental concentration and physical application. And it means that you're not actually doing your own job to 100%. I think he's a, a tremendously gifted footballer. And then to the point that you're asking about Finlay, in that I'm not going to be soppy over Rakitic when I was hard-nosed over Bale. I wrote a column a few weeks ago about Gareth Bale and, and spoke about it on radio and, and effectively said, Gareth Bale being treated like Real Madrid as if you're a bad smell, we want you out of our house. It's something that happens to footballers and coaches every month of every football season since any of us were born. And the only reason we're making a drama out of this is that although Bale's being treated had been treated unfairly over the summer and his achievements were being disregarded and he was being told in no uncertain terms, you are now just a commodity to us and we want to trade you. You know, wake up and smell the coffee, everybody. It's because it's Bale and Real Madrid that we're all making a fuss about this. This is commonplace, whether you're playing at Shrewsbury or you're playing at Aston Villa, you're playing at Celtic or Rangers or Milan or Porto. It doesn't matter. Players have time immemorially been treated like this. And therefore, Rakitic is being treated in the same way. We view you as a commodity. We are short of money. This is Barcelona speaking. We don't have uh, many other players who we can trade or want to trade. And therefore, right now, so long as the market is open, we're going to try and include you in the operation for Neymar. Or if a club comes in and wants to buy you, we'll take cash and then we'll put that into the operation for Neymar. Now, although the football market is such a Tasmanian devil, a quixotic, hot-tempered, constantly swirling beast that unless you're right in the middle of the deal, it's very, very hard to, to not predict, but to report accurately. You know, very often when all of you hear reporters getting something close but no cigar or getting it wrong, it, it, very often it's the case that they've actually been briefed by participants, but then things will take a last-minute turn and go the wrong way. It's not always the case that the reporter in question has simply not bothered doing his or her work. Now, that means that Rakitic taking a position, which I knew about from late winter uh, this year, from 2018, just moving into 2019, Rakitic had a position. My wife is from Seville. She finds Barcelona to be like the polar cap. It's bloody freezing for her here. We're not moving further north. Secondly, I have a magical contract. I'm happy with my salary. It lasts for a long time. I love playing here. I'm winning things. I'm earning bonuses. I'm not moving. And he sat on that position from then until now. And my point about the transfer market being so quixotic is it was it was still impossible to say that it, him being paid off to leave by Barcelona or an outrageous offer from Paris Saint-Germain changing his mind and changing his position. That that's It was impossible to say that won't happen, can't happen. The odds on bet and the market doesn't close here, I think, until Monday night. Certainly it's September 2. I think that's Monday night. It's impossible to say no chance Rakitic leave. But the majority bet has been for several months and remains now that he will tough it out. And that the reason he didn't play, Rakitic didn't play, didn't start at San Mames on week one. Came on when uh, already missing uh, Messi, Suarez went off. Um, at halftime, the change was made for Alenia. Rakitic utterly changed the game, very nearly won it for Barcelona, and then was left out at home against Betis, where the club were like, we don't want him injured. Don't play him. That's my interpretation, that the coach was told, until the market closes. And that means that Rakitic is, 
unless the Neymar move is completed or abandoned, at which point Rakitic is free to be selected by Valverde this weekend against Osasuna, where he certainly, certainly should start. I think there's a doubt. I think if the Neymar move is still potentially on or if there's a chance of selling Rakitic for money, it might be that the clubs still say, as they were saying last week, we'd rather that he wasn't injured and therefore we'd rather he doesn't play. He didn't play a minute against Betis. Eventually they didn't need him, but in the first half they could have done with him. And I think the idea is, right up until the last minute, it's feasible that Rakitic is still treated by Barcelona as moneda de cambio, loose change in an operation. Is it, you've asked Finlay, you know, is it right? Will they regret it? I think he stays. Here's the summary. One, I think he stays. Two, I think Barcelona have made a bad decision in how they treated him. He has been an ultra loyal soldier. He gets brutally treated by those Kules, Barcelona fans who still can't accept that, that Xavi and Iniesta have moved on and that you can't reproduce identical footballers. He gets treated brutally by those who think that Ricky Pooch, who is extremely talented, but still very slight and very young, and I don't think personally ready for 38 games a season, but those the lobby that says Ricky Pooch should be playing every week now wants Rakitic out of the way. And therefore, I think his level of play is being completely underappreciated. I think he's been badly treated by his club, but I think that Coach Valverde will probably have him available to pick as normal again from after the international break and maybe from this weekend in El Sadar. Okay, that's a, that's a great answer. And, you know, as, a, as an addendum, I just don't think I can imagine a single midfielder better equipped or who would have done a better job as bridging that impossible chasm between eras going from Xavi Iniesta Busquets yeah. to Iniesta yeah. Busquets plus one and now basically carrying Busquets you know at certain points last season who else who else could have done that job it's you're right it's a really good point Neil it's it's because it's it's a brutal job yeah exactly because you need to be self-sacrificing you need to have the abilities that made you survive and win the treble in the era with Xavi and Iniesta you need to have the prosaic hard work sleeves up. I'll just cover for Busquets. It's it's a tremendous uh, mix of talents and abilities and and a very hard mindset. I think it's very like you. You said it better than I did. I think it's very hard to think of who else could have done it. And and maybe he knew it's a thankless task cementing one era to another and and maybe it's just inevitable that the new era will leave those who fell in love with Barca in the old era unsatisfied maybe maybe you're right maybe that's just a natural conclusion but Finley's point Finley clearly I don't know if you interpret it the same way Neil but Finley clearly when he says his racket it's really on the way out at Barcelona, it, it's patent that no, it's not just you and I who see the value of what Rakitic has done and just football maybe isn't a very loyal, very thankful sport. Finley's on the Racky train for sure. Finally, for part one of our Q&A, this question comes from our sponsors, Bet365. It's a meaty one in three parts. Which signing will have a better season in Spain? Griezmann at Barcelona, Hazard at Real Madrid, or João Felix at Atletico. Graham, can we break this down, like do them one by one, a little digest on each, and then I'm going to really push you to come up with a solid choice, which is a job you sometimes dodge. Let's start with Antoine Griezmann. Uh, joined Barcelona, 120 million euros, I think, after a very long courtship and a television documentary, lest we forget. Can we start by talking about the, the different roles that we saw him play in the two games that Barcelona have played so far in two very different front threes? And what does that tell us about what he can do this season? Okay, so if this was a, you mentioned the word job, if this were a job interview, what they teach you is 
ask for more information. Sadly, you just gave me it. There are still elements of the old Barcelona style, although it's, you know, it's been diminished. Um, as we said before, there are no Xavi and Iniesta beating the pulse about this is what we do with the ball. This is what we do with the ball. You must move there. This is when you get the ball. The padam, 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 padam. That that isn't the way Barcelona play now. But so long as that there are Piquet and Stegen and Alba and, and Messi and Busquets and, and maybe even now some of the younger players in the team who have been brought up in the Barcelona way, whether that be Carlos Perez, Alenya eventually Ricky Pooch. There are traces of the old style. Now, Griezmann is um, unadapted to that, and therefore I think that one of his biggest challenges will be learning those rules. However, you talked about two different roles. He started wide on the left against Athletic and San Mames. There were some switcheroos went on, but then Suarez got injured, calf problem that will keep him out for a number of weeks. Griezmann went nine, and... Didn't particularly enjoy it when a couple of headers set a ball up for Rakitic at some mammas that Rakitic shot over because there were there was brutal pressure on him by Yerai and Unai, I think, um, which marked the difference between the two sides. Now, what, what was interesting at Camp Nou, where he scored two and made one and effectively was man of the match, although there were candidates, um, I thought that his movement as a centre-forward... I mean, for anybody who doesn't know this at, at our sponsors, 365 or any of the socios who don't know this, one at La Real where he made his name, Griezmann was a player who literally wanted to do what Di Stefano did and play everywhere. He felt he was entitled to play everywhere on the pitch, win the ball. But it's a Dennis Waterman, sing the theme tune, write the theme tune, all that kind of stuff. He did too much. Now, it's, it's enchanting to watch, if you like, effort and enthusiasm. But in tactical terms, one of the things Simeone has done for him is to say play higher, play on the edge, play on the line, whether it be off a striker or wide or try and play in the final, let's say, 40% of the pitch rather than being everywhere. That's helped him. That's helped change him into an elite striker who pretty sure he scored in the World Cup final. He certainly scored. He was top scorer in, in the Euro two years earlier. He scored two in the Europa League final. He's an elite performer. Um, and I, I would argue that we began... To see traces of that camp now against Betis, where not only did he commit some errors in terms of position, in terms of use of the ball, uh, not only did he do too much running constantly, here I am, here I am, showing now. Give it. The, the, the thing that Henrik Larsson had to learn when coming from Celtic to Barcelona and because he broke his leg in November against Real Madrid in the 3-0 win, and therefore he sat for a couple of months until he was healthy again watching, Griezmann is not... Utterly identical, but he is identical in the fact that he was the leader at Letty when, when he moved, the ball was given to him. And Larson was the same. And it's not quite like that at Football Club Barcelona. So there's adaptation to come, Neil. And when we saw a ball being fed into Griezmann on the left and him first timing a left foot ball across the penalty area for Arturo Vidal to volley home, that was probably more of a moment than either of his goals where he played centre-forward and he's admitted before he likes playing off a centre-forward. He doesn't like being the nine, yet he played centre-forward to run on Sergio Roberto's brilliant ball looping in round uh, Bartra and he volleyed home off his shin. Second goal, he said afterwards, well, that idea about cutting in from the right and turning onto my left and bending it around the keeper, well, I see Messi doing that in training. So really all I tried to do was copy him. 
really nice olive branch towards the maestro. People say that Messi isn't chuffed that Griezmann came because he wanted it to be Neymar instead. Maybe they get Neymar as well. The long and short of it is that Griezmann showed 70% good, 30% bad at the weekend. There's a long road to come because he has still to adapt to... Uh, Messi with whom he's not yet played he's still to adapt the Suarez he'll be out for a number of weeks we might see Neymar coming so ultimately I won't dodge the answer but I think Griezmann has got still a, a, a lot of rocky road where we need to see his character and how he accepts what's going on around him not just his football or athletic skills Fair Good answer. Hazard, Chelsea to Real Madrid, about 100 million euros so far, zero minutes as he works his way back to fitness. I want to ask you, I want, we had a little conversation about, um, about Hazard when we were on, on the road recording three big interviews a couple of weeks ago. What are the stakes, do you think, for Madrid and Hazard as he becomes, I guess, their sort of big post, their first big post-Ronaldo signing? I think Hazard fit will find it very easy to be feted. I think that the Bernabeu will adore him. I think that he will not really resemble anybody in that team other than Isco, who was a darling of the crowd for long enough, but has slightly lost his way over the last 10 months. Um, very, very important for Madrid in the win at Celta on week one. Far less important, far less interesting um, on week two when they drew it home to Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo's Valladolid. I think that there are similarities there, but Hazard is a footballer of such balance, such thrills, such chance creation. You know, maybe a total of goals that you'd like to see increasing. And at Real Madrid, he may have the opportunity to do that. But we all know that he's elite for several different reasons. And he's also Real Madrid's crowd both the the crowd associated with uh, Real Madrid around the world watching them and those who turn up at the Bernabeu, they'd like three Hazard-type players in their team. So when you get one, it will be like a cold beer in the desert. The things that I worry about in terms of our Bet365 question there would be, if you if you categorise success as lifting a trophy, working in a, in a thoroughly oiled, fully cohesive unit... Have I got total faith that that's what Real Madrid are going to be? No, I don't. I disagreed with their policy about what they've done with the midfield. It's clear that Zidane does too because they desperately want Pogba in. Now, whether Zidane's right and Pogba is or isn't the right player, the fact of it is they don't yet, they, they haven't flushed in hunger and energy and power and not just a worker but a footballer who can compensate for the fact that Modric at his age and he still wants to do everything on the pitch will have ups and downs physically has to have and Cruz frankly it's just has become lazy he's such a good footballer I wish we weren't watching what we're watching maybe he'll shake that off I don't know but therefore Hazard fitting into a very powerful well-planned, cohesive squad, I have my worries. And therefore, I think Hazard will look like a diamond amongst Cork. It, it'll be easy to admire him. Will he have the best season of the three at his club? I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful. OK, well, let's get to the third of the three then. João Felix Benfica to Atletico Madrid for uh, 126 million euros. That's number five on the all-time list in terms of transfer fees. I am kind of fascinated by this transfer. 
So at the moment, it looks as though Atleti have been very judicious with a very big ticket purchase, which kind of obliterated their club record, uh, almost doubled it, in fact. Well, but but only on paper, Neil. This is, I think, you've you've unearthed something that's really important because you know they've only had to lay down forty million. The um, the way in which they've got this kid out of Benfica is is extraordinary, and that forty million includes. <clears throat> excuse me, a payment to Porto, very, very small, a payment to the agent, and I think a payment to uh, the player or his family, and, and the initial payment to um, his selling club, Benfica. And therefore, the remainder of that sum, you know, I make the point that if if Atleti go really well this season in the Champions League, it, it is now standard that if you finish in the semi-finals or beaten finalist, you'll be earning 90 million or upwards, which is unbudgeted for, or a chunk of which is unbudgeted for, because Atleti are in the, in the Champions League guaranteed in the group stage, so it'll be budgeted. They'll have it in their heads. We'll earn a minimum of 30, but they're going to earn, you know, were they to go to the semi-finals or be beaten finalist? I say beaten finalist because if you win the final, you, you, your net gain is actually lower because you pay such huge sums to your players and win bonuses. But the vast sums that a João Felix-powered Atleti stand to earn in the Champions League can take a, an enormous bite out of a sum that they haven't paid yet and that they had to get, you know, take for. They had to go and borrow some of that money. It's a very complex package deal. If you imagine that you're offered the, that quiz question, would you take João Felix, this, is, this quiz question comes to you in May, for an outlay of 40 million. <laughs> There's literally nobody that says no, right? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, I think it's, it's kind of interesting, just as interesting in, in sort of big picture terms. Uh, he's, what, he's what US sports would call a franchise player in the making, all right? Now, obviously, once you start looking at him, he becomes, you know, it, it kind of gets better and better, this, this, the start that he's had. But if if they right when they're putting this when they're putting this deal together and when they're big picturing it and looking at the entire you know the, the total financial outlay of the piece, do you think that they reckoned at some point if we're right about how good this guy's going to get this crazily enough right this could be the only chance we get. So if he has another great season in Portugal, no, you're right. No, listen, I think every way you you've tried to configure this um, is is spot on the money. I think it might be the case that they were unprepared for the degree to which he's just taken the task at hand and said, please, every step aside. Because his, his athleticism, his goal record, I think he got 15 for Benfica, uh, not in all comps, but in uh, the league last season, you know, which he began at age 18. I think that, and, and, and listen, it's also only 2015 since Porto sent him away saying you're too small. And that cost them, I, I think I think there was about, let's say it's under 2 million that it took Benfica to rip this kid from their bitter, bitter hated rivals. They probably hate uh, Porto more than they hate, they hate sporting. So a small period of time has passed from that to this 125 million euro signing and us talking about him in the same breath as Eden Hazard and Antoine Griezmann, each of whom are, what, 28 and, you know, have been either playing in, you know, they've each, well, they've each won European trophies and domestic trophies. So I think where there might be a level of surprise at Atleti is exactly how confident 
and how dominant he looks because in every game, it, literally every game, including the pre-season thrashing of Real Madrid in um, about 12 miles away from Tony Soprano's home is currently up for sale for $3.4 million. People, if you, if you want, 12 miles away from the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, you can buy that house that they filmed uh, Tony's life at. 7-3 that was. Uh, it was a mobbing. And Jafalit scored, but from that game to to the the most recent one 0 win away, I mean, it, it, they've they're, they're still carving results out. Uh, Vitolo's goal was partly thanks to Joao Felix, but f- right throughout every performance in red and white, the senior players. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's Jimenez or it's Coque or it's Saul Diego Costa. Every senior player is going. Where's the kid? Give him the ball. Make space for him. Find Joao Felix. He's he's their lead, not our leader, not the media's, not the fans. The senior players are going. This kid, this kid will make the difference now. Give him the ball. Make a support run for him. Make a dummy run for him. It's awesome to see. Can another thing I, that's the opposite. I hate seeing is he's been clattered. Always been clattered all the time. Referees have been adequate up to now. Not not faulty but not brilliant in that they're saying to this kid, the fact that you're young and still a little bit slender and the fact that you're dangerous and people are clattering you, you're just going to have to take your lumps, kid. We'll blow a foul, but we're not going to protect you. And the debate was similar over Neymar at Barcelona. I haven't followed the way that uh, Ligue 1 referees are, 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 are looking after or not looking after Neymar. He's been constantly injured, but I'm not, I, I know that some of those are impact injuries. Some of, those, some of the injuries are the fact that he could live a slightly tighter life off the pitch. But Joao Felix has already been targeted and that will continue. And that will help determine whether I'm right in saying that maybe this kid will be the standout of the three. I have a lot of faith in Hazard's talent. He should not have turned up for preseason overweight. Although there's been eight injuries at Real Madrid in 47 days, his may be related to the fact that he was being worked very hard physically at a time when he wasn't in peak physical shape. It, his 1978 idea about like, well, you turn up after pre-season a little bit out of shape and then you work it off is not the modern era. Simply isn't. So that's why I have trouble uh, about Hazard and, and also the fact that the team doesn't, I'm unconvinced about the, the, the relationship between uh, Zidane and the president, The uh, Zidane's clear wish that he had another midfielder particularly Pogba and I'm a little bit worried Jovic I think is going to be like Jardel like people used to say about Jardel oh he can only score there's not a lot of football in Jovic outside the box I don't think yet young though he is so Joao Felix shouldn't be necessarily the one that I'm tipping because Griezmann can have a dominant season but if Joao Felix at 19 can be adequately protected continuously by referees that the teams aren't allowed to kick him out of it and if physically and mentally he's able to bear a season as as dominant as he's played so far in pre-season in the first two matches at 19 which will be extraordinarily rare it's very feasible that Joao Felix wins this three-way competition and while I wish Hazard and Griezmann the best in their new tasks. His would be his success would be the magical element for football because he is extraordinary. Um, impacting on a hard-bitten Cholo Simeone team like he has done is very unusual and you'd pay to watch him. 
There's your poster boy for your new UK TV deal. Okay, guys, that's the ball game for part one. We're back tomorrow. More questions from our socios. This podcast was produced by Backpage and Graham Hunter. Our music is by Beer Jacket. Graham, hasta mañana. Adios, crack. Hasta luego, baby. I'll be back. <laughs>